The I'm Fine podcast is produced by Lamore Media LLC and is run by Project Headspace and Timing. Project Headspace and Timing is a 501c3 that I started in 2017 after a veteran that I was a medic to decided to pull over on the side of the road and end his life. As an organization, Project Headspace and Timing works on veteran advocacy and veteran outreach. What that means is through the advocacy perspective, we try to connect veterans to other resources as early on into the process as possible. What that entails is early contact with veterans, forming a safety net with their family members, friends, and fellow service members, educating them on the resources, and when that veteran is ready to get help, we are there to make sure that they get the help that they need. The outreach aspect is put there to get veterans together to do productive and constructive things, whether it's out in nature, working with other businesses, anything to get them out around other veterans where those good conversations can happen if they want to have them. If you are interested in finding out more information about our organization, please visit projectheadspaceandtiming.org, our Facebook page, Project Headspace and Timing, or our Instagram, which is Project Headspace and Timing. And if you would like to donate to our organization, please visit our website, projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Scroll to the bottom and you will find a link to our Venmo. If you'd like to send us a check, our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 382, Mantino, Illinois, 60950. And if you'd like to sponsor or have any other questions, feel free to reach out to me at Eric P. P. and Paul at projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Thank you. Welcome to episode six of the I'm Fine podcast. We're going to focus today on the F that is in our title's acronym, Freaked Out. So as we move into fall, we have Halloween on our minds. One of the most natural and basic human emotions is also on our minds, and that's fear. So today we're going to talk about where it comes from, the history of fear, phobias, how to get over it, and just a, a comprehensive look from just a couple of knuckle-draggers on what we think about it. So thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the I'm Fine Podcast with your freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional hosts, Eric Peterson and Brad Stozik. I think that now that we're into the Halloween season, it's starting to finally hit me now because it's actually starting to get a little colder. I love the fall. Yes. I love Halloween. I, 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 my wife loves Halloween the most. I like Christmas a little bit more. I've always been a huge Christmas dude, but I really love just the fall because the leaves are changing, yep. everything like that. We watched, we had a Hocus Pocus 2 party. How last was night. that? Without any spoilers. Without any spoilers. I will say that it was as good as a movie can be that's like where the sequel comes out. 20 years after the original that's fair it was fine okay it wasn't bad I, I thought it wasn't bad okay but yeah so today we're going to talk about fear and when it comes to fear when we went into this episode and you know we do like a little bit of studying and like looking into some stuff yep so when we got into this initially i was just like okay the only thing i'm really afraid of like i have some social anxiety stuff sure but other than that i'm like i'm not really afraid of anything and then i looked into stuff and i was just like i'm afraid of fucking everything yeah. i have a bunch of fears that i didn't even think about before so just to, to start from the very beginning what is fear so fear according to verywellmind.com involves both a universal biochemical response coupled with a high individual emotional response fear alerts us to the presence of danger threats harm whether that danger is physical or psychological it's a survival response and that was the biggest thing that i kept seeing everywhere was that fear is tied to our survival like it's a basic human emotion because we've always had it and i know that you looked into the history of it right i did yeah the uh the first i guess the first evidence of fear was from the like cavemen first humans but their fears were a lot different than ours today yeah. you know like today we fear like I don't know. Like bad Just, social media yeah, posts like, resurfacing? Yes, stuff like, like that. Cavemen were like super worried about their Twitter accounts. They were on the rocks when they chiseled them in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. But uh, no, they feared physical fears, right? Things that could eat them. Sure. And then there was the fears of the unknown. Because unlike today, cavemen did not have understanding of anything, right? right? 
the sun going down, the right. sun coming back up, thunderstorms. So they lived in complete and total fear of basically everyday phenomenon that just happened naturally. Yeah. Because they didn't understand it. So it, the reading was basically fear of the unknown. And there's still so much that we don't know about right now. There's still, I mean, I think we still have a fear of the unknown. Sure. And I think that's why so many people are like threatened by change is because it's all of that, which we have no idea about. Right. And yeah, obviously at a time back then there was way more that we didn't know about, but again, it comes back to fear being a survival response. Like don't pet that bear. Why? Cause it'll fucking eat you probably. <laughs> Yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's a survival, like it's, it's built into you to know not to do those things. So I looked at it from um, a biological perspective. And like we talked about before, we are doing our best. We are not doctors. We are not professionals. We're just a couple of guys trying to figure some stuff out. There is a neuroscientist named Dr. Andrew Huberman, who he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast. He has his own podcast called Huberman's Lab, where he really dives into uh, like the biological side of things. If you're ever interested in checking it out, he's also a associate professor of neurobiology at Stanford University. So clearly the dude knows what he's talking about. So I listened to a, a couple of his podcast and he had one specifically on fear and what they talk about biologically speaking in the brain is that fear starts in the amygdala which is this almond shaped set of nuclei in the temporal lobe of the brain and essentially the amygdala is like what my wife i think wishes i was in that like <laughs> the perfect emotional partner like paying super close to your emotions and then figuring out what to do with those emotions it alerts the nervous system that there's a problem. And then from there, you have the cerebral cortex, which is the area of the brain that harnesses reasoning and judgment, and it's responsible for making good decisions. But when the amygdala understands that there's some sort of fear, it essentially tells the cerebral cortex to fuck off. Like it's like, and that's why when you are terrified, your decision-making skills are like one of the first things that kind of goes out the window because that cerebral cortex is kind of shutting down. The amygdala is refocusing its energy somewhere else. And then you have the hippocampus, which helps figure out whether whatever you're freaking the fuck out about is legitimate or not. So again, to that, that bear example, it's like your brain, the amygdala is like, hey, we shouldn't touch that bear, right? Because, you know, it's a fucking bear. And then the hippocampus is like, yeah, that's a bear and it'll fucking eat you. Remember last time you tried to pet the bear and it like, and it bit your arm off. And then the amygdala is like, the amygdala is like, yep, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything with that bear. I'm definitely gonna be afraid of that bear. So. The hippocampus also has a role in fear memory, tying fearful memories to certain places. So when people go to a certain place and it triggers some sort of fear inside of them like that, that has to do with that as well. And the amygdala, uh, more importantly, that people are familiar with, starts the response to get the body into fight or flight mode. Okay. And I know that you looked into the four different fear responses, two of them being fight or flight. Yep, yep. Um, and essentially that's the body preparing you for what's about to come. So what did you see when it comes to the four fear responses? So I actually thought there was only two, which mm -hmm. fight or flight, right, I had no idea of the other two. The other two, so there's fight or flight, obviously, and then there's freeze and fawn. Freeze is basically what it sounds like. Free, you just- Deer in the headlights. Yeah, just freeze, you yep. stop. And fawn is almost bargaining with someone to make them happy out of fear. So when I thought of like a hostage situation, right, you get a negotiator in there mm -hmm. and they're, I guess, would be considered fawning with that person who's ever holding anybody hostage. Yeah. Try to de-escalate the situation. Yeah. So I, I didn't know that those were responses to fear. And it's really cool in how your body actually reacts when you start going through fear so when you're when you start feeling that fight or flight response like you can get tunnel vision like we said the cerebral cortex kind of stops the decision making stuff your pain tolerance goes up which which is pretty cool because your body is telling yourself you're about to get into some shit so you need to be ready so like it blood actually flows away from the the core as opposed to towards the core, because obviously the blood needs to make sure that it's replenishing all of the organs all of the time. But when you're in fight or flight, it goes to your limbs, it goes to your hands, it goes to your feet, because your body knows you're either about to throw hands or run the fuck away. Yep. And so your body just immediately starts to do that. 
the bronchi in your lungs dilate so you can take more oxygen in, you start to breathe faster, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, increase of glucose into your muscles so you have more energy to either fight or flight. And then like the GI stuff just kind of shuts down, like your stomach and all that other stuff. It's like, we don't fucking need to be a part of this. We're going to shut down because you're either going to beat the shit out of this bear or you're going to run away from this bear. And I always thought that that was really, really interesting because it is an evolutionary response. One of the things that I found in there that's always that I always think about too when it comes to fear and that fight or flight is the grizzly man story. And that's why I bring up the thing about the bear. So are you familiar at all with the grizzly man story? I've never heard of the grizzly man story. So like I said, there's a reason why you should be afraid of stuff. It's an evolutionary response. And when it comes to my example, I kept using bear a bear being afraid of a bear. If you see a giant bear running at you or you see bears out in the wilderness, you're supposed to stay away from them. So in 2005, a documentary film by Werner Herzog was made called uh, The Grizzly Man. And it chronicles the life and death of bear enthusiast Tim Treadwell and uh, his girlfriend, Amy Hugengard. I might be pronouncing that wrong. And it was at the Katmai, Katmai National Park in uh, Alaska. And so essentially Treadwell went out there to document his experiences with grizzly bears, I believe it was grizzly bears. And he was getting closer and closer. And he was like watching these bears for a long time, talking about his relationship with these bears. And then he felt like he was getting closer to these bears where he felt like he could have, you know, he could go closer and, 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 and things like that. And it ended with him and his girlfriend getting fucking killed by these bears, which is super sad. Yeah. But it's like, again, there's a reason why you have these fears of certain things. You know what I mean? And then they found, a pilot found the remains of the two people, of Treadwell and his girlfriend. Yeah. After everything happened, they made a documentary about it. And you're just like, it's so sad because while I respect the fact that you were trying to overcome these fears, you know, like the last, I think the last clip of him because there's actually audio that exists of the attack, but I don't think anyone's listened to it other than maybe Herzog and a couple of other people. But they're just like, the last thing was, I think, Treadwell talking about how he was going to get closer to the bears. And then obviously you're fighting against that natural instinct to stay the fuck away from it. Yeah. And then boom, like lights out. No, no. So the other important thing when it comes to fear is conditioning. And again, like I said, we're not going to get super, super deep into it. Essentially, you know, conditioning is just the training of your brain to respond to certain stimuli. There's two experiments that are the most famous ones. There's the Ivan Pavlov experiment, which most people are familiar with. Essentially, Pavlov had a dog and a bell. And if you just rang the bell, the dog isn't going to do anything. It's going to look at you and it's going to be like, what do you fucking want from me? But what Pavlov did was he would ring the bell and then he would show the dog some food. And then he kept doing that enough times because whenever he would show the dog food, the dog would salivate because the dog's hungry. And then he took that food away after doing it so many times and just rang the bell. And then he saw that by the dog hearing the bell ring, that he would salivate even if food wasn't present. So he was conditioned to feel a certain way, to feel hungry by that sound that he never felt before. So like that's an example of conditioning. Another popular example of conditioning, which is way more fucked up to me, is the little Albert experiment. So the little Albert experiment is essentially the same thing as the Pavlov experiment, except it's with a baby. And instead of ringing a bell and presenting the baby with food, they showed the baby like a mouse, I think it was at first. And the baby was not afraid of the mouse. And then they would show the mouse and they would make this super loud, scary noise because almost, I'm pretty sure like everybody just innately is afraid of large, like loud, scary noises, sudden noises. Right. And so they would play the super loud noise. The baby would freak the fuck out. And then they would show him the mouse. And then it got to the point where then they would take the noise away. And just by seeing the mouse, the baby would freak the fuck out. And then they would just show the baby like other things that kind of looked like a mouse and the baby would freak the fuck out. And all I could think of the entire time was like, who are your parents? <laughs> like whose parents are just like the, the scientists are just like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to scare the shit out of your kid, <laughs> but it's to, we're going to do some studies, you know, to see what freaks people out. 
And, you're, and like, as a parent, you're going to be like, all right, I keep talking, you know? And they're just like, we're just going to make this super loud fucking noise and just scare the shit out of your kid. So we'll see if they're afraid of rats. And like, and for whatever fucking reason, these parents are like, sounds like a good idea. And so <laughs> the parents are like, you had me at science. Yep. Great. I don't give a shit. So that's a little Albert oh, experiment. Again, gosh. it just shows conditioning. So fear, you can be conditioned to have fear. Um, yeah. It can be. Over the course of time, it can be as a child because you see your parents fearfully reacting to spiders. And so you just start to associate that and, and, and you make that association. Now you're conditioned to also be afraid of spiders or you can have a traumatic experience that causes fear where you just see a spider on you and it freaks you out because you didn't expect it. And now, boom, you are also afraid of spiders or anything that looks like spiders. So going off of the conditioning thing, yeah. with the history of fear, I also read that the fear of other languages between different groups of peoples is what created like separation. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say racism because that's not the case, but it created separation between peoples Yeah, was because of the fear of, hey, they sound different. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that are you not always kind of fearful again of that which you don't understand and again we've talked about this before but it's like whenever a group of people comes forward with this with their frame of mind with their thinking their ideology that they're trying to introduce to the rest of society like almost immediately everybody's like fuck that like people don't want to listen to that group of people and i think that's because it's just a fear of the unknown because we don't understand it Minus if that it completely takes away from if that new way of thinking could make me feel bad about a way that I've been acting before. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm even more, I feel like going to be against it because now it's going to make me feel even worse about myself. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean that I yeah, that makes sense. It's crazy how throughout history, like fear has caused things to spread religion, for example, mm-hmm. the fear of, of Christianity, like the Romans at first were totally against it mm-hmm. and then they accepted Christianity and then all of a sudden they're like, nope, this is now the world religion and we are going to spread it no matter what it takes. And oh, yeah. fear and, oh my gosh, I can't think of his name. The, um, the Mongolian, like... Uh, Genghis Khan? Yes, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> that dude instilled so much fear. Genghis Khan, and what people don't understand again about that, which I guess kind of goes with fear, is he killed so many people the Mongols killed so many people that they changed the carbon footprint of the fucking world. Like, that's how many they instilled fear. And, yeah. and that's another important thing is that Genghis Khan realized and some of the, the, the legendary generals in history, two of them, I can't remember one of them, but the other one's Subutai, but they were both Genghis Khan's generals. And they're revered as like two of the top five generals in all of history. And they would use fear as a tactic, obviously, to scare the shit out of their opponents because they knew that you could affect a large group of people relatively simply just by instilling fear. And we've seen that again, like you'd mentioned, throughout throughout history, some of the more popular ones. So you have the Salem Witch Trials. Salem Witch Trials occurred in Colonial Massachusetts between 1692 and 1693, when more than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft and 20 were actually executed. And eventually the colony admitted that the trials were a mistake and compensated the families, which is, again, always blows my mind. They straight up killed like 20 people and they're like, hey, guys, like they knock on the door like, hey, I'm real sorry what we did, but, you know, I got a goat. Funny and story. We're gonna give you that goat. <laughs> Got a coupon for a free sm- small fry. From Dude, <laughs> Dude yeah, I just. You're welcome. I wish I could be a fly on the wall throughout history and just see some of these things. Like the mindsets of people and the. Uh, well, history is bound to repeat itself, right? We hear that sure. all the time. And so when you look at the Salem Witch Trials, you always wonder, like, what are we doing right now that's just like this? Because in the Salem Witch Trials, somebody could just act a certain way and mm-hmm. then you're like, they're a witch. And then they could be fucking killed for it. And everybody just believes it. And there are plenty of documentaries and podcasts and books and things out there where you can really read into the Salem Witch Trials to find out how they took place and everything that happened. But essentially it was just that. If you felt some sort of way about somebody, you would accuse them of being a witch and that was it. And they were done. Yep. And then after the fact, people are just like, oh, I'm sorry. So like fear 
is debilitating amongst a group of people like that. Because you had that then. And one of the stories that I always liked was um, the War of the Worlds broadcast. So War of the Worlds is a classic H.G. Wells novel that was written, I think, in the late 1800s. And Orson Welles, I don't believe there's any relation there, did a broadcast in 1938 on CBS radio network where they did a dramatic adaption of War of the Worlds. So the issue was is that people tuned in, and this was like the first really, maybe it wasn't the first dramatic uh, adaption of its time, I'm not really sure, but so many people were not used to that, to taking in stories over the radio like this, and they assumed stories were more associated with the news and music. And so people tuned in to this performance, and they thought that Martians were straight up like attacking the world and they were freaking out now after the fact you know it's kind of uh disputed as far as like how many people were really freaking out but there were people calling the police there were people like people were worried because they tuned they tuned in they had nothing else to base anything off of and even though they could look outside and not see any fucking aliens yeah because it was coming through on their radio that was enough for them to freak the fuck out so i mean that was a more more recent one obviously you have the red scare which people kind of uh, they look at that kind of similar to the salem witch trials which was the the scare of the spread of communism in the 40s and 50s uh that was actually not the first red scare the first one was in like uh, early 1900s 1917 through 1920 following the russian revolution but people were just again afraid of some group of people and they didn't know how i feel like as people we kind of wish it was like Star Trek where, I don't know if you ever watched Star Trek when you were younger. I did when I was a kid. I was like, if somebody had a red shirt on, yeah. they're probably going to die. And you <laughs> knew they were going to die because they had a red fucking shirt on. Right? Yeah. Like as human beings, we just wish that all dumb people would just wear red shirts. So we just know like, oh, that's a dumb person. When it comes to the Salem witch trials, when it comes to the Red Scare, you didn't have that distinguishing feature on a person yeah, where you okay. could just say, oh, this person is blank this person is that you had to just kind of look at some of the things that they were doing subjectively and try to figure out whether or not you thought they were a witch you thought they were a communist and so because we didn't have that clear line in the sand that led to all these people being accused of things and then it affecting their character or even worse taking their lives so i mean fear is is scary obviously because of the impact it can have as a on a society and one of the other examples that i always use and I, don't know, I don't know if this is a good one or not but stephen king's the mist so if you've read the book or you've seen the movie yes they, the one thing that i like that they they showed was initially in the very beginning you have essentially somebody who's extremely religious and maybe takes it a little far and that that older lady in the in the store and as the story goes on you have all these people that are so afraid of what's happening and they don't know why it's happening and they all start to gravitate to the lady that was initially the crazy person at the very beginning yeah and why is that again what do we just talk about in the beginning when you start to feel fear your ability to reason goes out the fucking window sometimes so you start to make those types of decisions so when you take a group of people that can be easily influenced already mm-hmm. like that's fucking terrifying to me Yes. Again, the religious side, dude. I think the the Salem witch trials that around that time, colonial America, they were starting to form new religions, trying to separate from England. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of it too. Whereas, like, oh, well, you're going against like our Puritan ways, so right. you got to be a witch. Yeah, like, it's got to be. So I think that was a big part of it too. Was just they went had different religious views. Oh, yeah. Well, because you're challenging the norm. Whenever you're challenging the norm, especially when that norm is the authority, then that's going to come from there's going to be fear on both sides. There's going to be fear on the side of the person that's challenging the norm, because what if I fail? And then there's fear on the side of the authority, which is what if we're wrong? So, yeah, I mean, you're going to have that, I think, in any one of those situations for sure. Now, the one thing that I found and that's associated with fears a lot, especially in the DSM-5, is uh, phobias. So phobias are listed in the DSM-5. Their phobias are classified by medical professionals as anxiety disorders. And the diagnostic criteria are as follows. There's some more, but I'm just going to get into some of these, some of the diagnostic criteria for phobias. So marked fear or anxiety about a specific object or situation, if that object or situation almost always provokes immediate fear or anxiety, 
It's usually out of proportion to the actual danger posed by the specific object. Sometimes that object or situation is actively avoided or endured with intense fear or anxiety. So those are a few of them, and you can, you can look up the rest in the DSM-5 if you'd like. But phobias are listed on there, and phobias are also pretty common. I looked into phobias a little bit more. Again, a phobia itself is an irrational and over overactive fear of something that most often cannot cause harm, can attach to essentially fucking anything and significantly impact people's lives. There's no hard and fast reason why they develop. Both environmental and genes can be involved. Considered one of the most prevalent mental health issues in the U.S., about 12.5% of adults will deal with a phobia at some point, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Of adults experiencing a specific phobia in the past year, an estimated 21.9% have impairment, serious impairment, due to the phobia. 30% have moderate impairment and then 48.1 had mild do you have any phobias like oh. right now that you know of like serious ones or like the silly ones like clowns Both. and yeah i'm i'm terrified of clowns <laughs> like terrified terrified because i have a one of my best friends is terrified of fucking clowns i will i'm like my anxiety if i see a clown will get yeah elevated right a little bit but i, w- I won't like drastically avoid Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I will. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah. you don't think you're afraid of shit, and yeah. then you read the, and then you like read what it is to be afraid of something you think about, it, and then you're like, well, yeah, if you're afraid of clowns and you see some clowns over there, you're probably going to avoid them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm afraid of hospitals. Yeah. Every time. That was actually recent <laughs> because every time I would go to the hospital, the doctor would be like, Oh, your vision's getting worse, or oh, man, we got to do another surgery, or. So again, it's that conditioning. Every time you go to the hospital, you have some bad news. Yeah. You don't want to receive that fucking bad news. Correct. So what happens now? Your body just associates hospitals with that feeling, yep. right? Yep. What, where did the clown one start? Did you watch it when you were a kid? No. That was fucking creepy. No. My sister, my mom had it first, and then she passed it along to my sister. It was like this little porcelain clown. I'm stop it right there. Porcelain <laughs> fucking anything. Little porcelain dolls, porcelain clowns. In what world are those not fucking creepy shit? I don't know, shit? dude. Look. I don't know why, like, why, whoever made those, like, the kids are gonna love this. Kids are gonna love them. <laughs> yep, we're just gonna sit them up on their little thing above their bed, and they're gonna stare at them all night, yeah. and it's gonna be great. Yep, it yeah, had this, though. like, creepy smile, and these, like, balloons, and it just was like, no, nope. Yeah, I understand why that would be so creepy. What I found... It kind of goes along with what you said, according to pro.psychom.net. Specific phobias typically appear in childhood, average onset seven years old, but they also may appear at any point throughout their life, uh, throughout a person's life. Phobias tend to persist for several years and for decades, and about 10 to 30% of those who have specific phobias, those with persistent symptoms are at a higher risk for other anxiety, mood, and substance use disorders. Women are twice as likely to be affected as men, and phobias about heights and animals are the most prevalent. There is some moderate heritability as well, according to a meta-analysis in the Journal of Anxiety Disorders, which actually looked at twin studies. So while heritability of specific phobias uh, vary, the highest incidence seem to be animal fear and phobia with injections, injury, seeing blood, shit like that. So Phobias can develop immediately, just like with fear, like a phobia of dogs. After you're bitten by a dog, you immediately develop that phobia where you're just now afraid of dogs. Again, also plays back into the conditioning. The examples that I found, animals, snakes, spiders, dogs, nature, like you said earlier, storms, thunderstorms, blood injection, injury, needles, getting shots, seeing blood, situational, like public speaking or claustrophobia and then others that don't fit into the aforementioned categories. One of my favorite phobias that exists is hippopotamonstrosis quapedaliophobia. <laughs> and here's why I know scientists are assholes. So <laughs> hippopotam- hippopotamonstrosis quapedaliophobia, can you guess what it is the fear of? Big words. It's the fear of long words. Shut up. Yep. <laughs> that's how I know scientists are assholes sometimes, because that, that's hilarious to me. That a scientist was like, oh, you're afraid of uh, big words? You know what I'm going to call that? Hippopotamonstrosis quapedaliophobia. <laughs> Have a good day. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's uh, so there, there are so many different phobias out there. Claustrophobia, I think is a super common one. Yeah. I'm not very claustrophobic, but there was a scene in Game of Thrones. Did you ever watch Game of Thrones? Okay. 
not trying to spoil anything, but there is this battle scene. It was in the episode Battle of the Bastards where Jon Snow is getting like trampled by guys. Like he's just like guys are just backing into him and he has nowhere to move. And the way that they shot that episode, you like I couldn't watch that and not get viscerally uncomfortable. Because you're just seeing him like he just can't move at all. So like claustrophobia, I definitely get that. What other phobias do you have? Before I go and continue on my phobias, yeah. I don't think you should apologize for spoilers because I think Game of Thrones ended like five years ago. No, yeah, <laughs> so I, I know, think that's still, enough you know phobias. what I mean? But yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> phobias though, my some of my serious ones, I'm afraid of, um, I'm afraid of my family leaving me. That's a real, I feel like that's a real one that a lot of, I mean, that's a fear of being alone. Who's not afraid of being alone, though? That's a legitimate one for sure. Yeah. 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 But that doesn't, does it impede you from doing things? No, 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 no. So it's just something you think about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just have those like small fears. I, I think I don't really have any type of fears that like keep me from, like I said, aside from like hospitals and yeah. I do like making appointments. So I do have coming up, I have like, an MRI of my spine and brain. So it's just kind of like to look for more tumors. So that's, there's a fear of like, oh, great, here I go. Right. go to the MRI, they're going right. to find another tumor or something. Yep. So I've been, the worst, oh, the worst part about those MRIs is I go to a bigger hospital. So it's, you have to schedule appointments like six months out. Yeah. So I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and Anticipation waiting. Anticipation is the worst. Yeah. Anticipation for something that you have a pretty good feeling about is going to suck. I feel like is the worst. Yeah. I would compare that to we were on a mission in Afghanistan and I was on the trucks and we dismounted a bunch of guys. We had a, it was a night mission for whatever reason. We didn't do a lot of night missions on this deployment, but some guys had to go and clear a couple of houses on the top of this, this hilltop, this little mountain. And so I'm down on the trucks with like three other dudes. Like it's myself and my gunner. And then I have the gunner and one dismount from another vehicle. I take, and then there was a gunner and a dismount for two other vehicles. So there's eight of us down there. And the rest of our platoon's up doing their job. And we're talking to our air support, and they're letting us know that there was like, I don't remember, like 10 or 12 look like military age males armed with like AKs and stuff that were moving towards our position. And so we're just sitting there. We're like, okay. Because the, the truth is, especially when you're overseas, depending on the situation and the environment and what you did and where you were at, I mean, sometimes that's normal. Sometimes it's just like, listen, man, maybe they're Afghan National Police. Maybe they're Afghan Army guys. You know what I mean? Like until they do something, you got to be aware of it, but we don't know what's going to happen. And they kept telling us that they were getting closer to our position. And it was pitch black, not pitch, pitch black, but it was pretty fucking dark out. Mm -hmm. And there was a house that we could see within our range of view. And the, the air support told us that they were getting closer to the house. And then they were in the house. And so like... Nothing ended up happening from that incident, but the fear of just like, like now I'm on edge, right? Fear kicks in. So what's happening again, fight or flight. So adrenaline starts going up. You're ready for something to fucking happen. The blood starts going into your limbs and away from your core. You start breathing faster again, heart rate, blood pressure all start going up. And now you're sitting in that heightened sense for like longer than you should be. Yeah. Because we're not supposed to feel like that all the time. So when you're talking, that was in a short, that was a, a small example. So with what you're dealing with six months out, what are you fucking just feeling like that for six months? You're just in that heightened say, sense of fear? I, it hasn't happened yet, so I'm still there. <laughs> um, That's how I am with my mom. Uh, yeah. Um, in hospice care. Uh, There's that fear and it's just yeah. there and it's not going anywhere. And you like try to push it aside and think yep. about other shit. Yep. And then out of nowhere, you're by yourself one night trying to go to bed. And then that thought just whoop, peeks up around your shoulder. It's like, hey, you're still afraid of this, aren't you? Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> it just kind of creeps in. But yeah, yeah it's, I understand that 100%. Right. What are the other dumb things you're afraid about? I have a few. Bugs. You're afraid of bugs? on me like slime just like slime i think that's is it a fear or are you just uncomfortable i guess i so i guess like fear uncomfortable. i'm afraid of touching fish all right all right <laughs> like so <laughs> funny story we went my, my brother-in-law and i went fishing and i refused to touch the fish i, yeah. I, I won't 
do it. Yeah. So he thought it would be fun to every fish he caught and he would throw at me. Of course. Man, he ended up catching like 17 (laughs) fish that day. (laughs) And just threw them at you? Just threw them at me. And I wasn't going to catch it. It's facing Uh, your fears. It's one way. Did it work? No, I hate fish. I will. I do not. Made it worse? Dude, I just, yeah. Do that. How old were you? Was this like when you were younger? 10, maybe. Is that what started it or no? You said no. You had that fear going into it. That just exacerbated things. So I think what started my fear of fishing when I was a kid, we were fishing and my mom and I were going back to get a worm, another worm. Yeah. And she wasn't holding on to the hook. And so she's walking here. I'm walking and it's just swinging. Yeah. Well, it swung just enough and the hook caught my eye. Oh, my, my eyelid. Yeah. And it went through my eyelid. Just, I mean, it didn't hit my eyeball, luckily. I mean, it doesn't, really doesn't matter now, right? Ah, <laughs> but, yeah. but the hook went through my eyelid, dude. She still has a running joke. She's like, oh, I didn't catch a big mouth bass. I caught a big mouth Brad. <laughs> and I'm like, right. mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that joke, That was but good. it's kind of fucked up. But yeah. yes, so I think that kind of kicked the uh, yeah, that fear 100%. of fishing. That 100% makes sense. Yeah. Was that one? But And how old were you when that happened? That I had to have been four or five. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, right. Okay. Because I try to think of fear when I was little, and most of my fears came from, like, movies. Okay. So, things that freaked me out when I was a kid. There was a scene in Child's Play. It was either Child's Play 1 or 2 with Chucky, where somebody was going down the stairs, and he reaches out between the treads of the stairs, because it was, like, basement stairs. Yes. And he, like, slices the Achilles tendon of this person or something. That made me freaked out of all basement stairs <laughs> like when i was a kid and i saw that so anytime i would go down basement stairs i would kind of like either go super quick or, <laughs> or like walk a little bit on the side trying to see if i could see under the track because that freaked me out yeah and then the movie aliens freaked the shit out of me because in aliens not alien but the, it was the second movie there was an amazing scene in it where bill paxton who i love bill paxton fun fact he was the only actor to be killed by both aliens and the predator which i think is super cool but he played one of these like space marines or whatever okay and there was this scene where they're looking at this radar trying to figure out where the aliens are and they're looking at the radar and the heat signatures are like getting closer and closer and closer but they're looking out and they don't see anything so like they're starting to freak out and then all of a sudden it's right on top of them And they're like, well, we still don't see anything. And then all of a sudden, the aliens come out of the ground through the floor grates. They grab Bill Paxton, pull him down. Again, spoiler alert for a movie that's like 50 fucking years old. Uh, (laughs) But they pull him down into the floor, and then it's done. They kill him. And that freaked me out because I was a kid, and I didn't even understand the concept of things can get me from a place that I can't see. Like, I always thought, you know, I, I can deal with something if it's in front of me, but that night when I first saw that movie, I still remember I was in third grade and like I was so afraid that something was going to come through the walls or the floor of my bedroom that I couldn't go to sleep. I had to like go cry to my dad because I was just like freaking the fuck out because I was so worried about that. Yeah. And that kind of stuff freaked me out for a while. My parents didn't let me watch scary movies for a long time because I was that kid that would like run in their sleep in their bed in the middle of the night. Yep, me too. Yeah, I, I had the running joke. I did that until I was like 17, man. What? <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> no, I think that, uh, yeah. Well, because when you're a kid, you're super creative and you're afraid yeah. of like the dark. Like my yep. oldest daughter does that right now. She will become afraid of something and then she'll run into our room. Mm-hmm. And from the, the parent side of things, it's like, I know I'm not going to get these moments forever. Yeah. And so I will sacrifice some of my sleep. And I will let my kids come into bed with us For and sure. sleep. You know what I mean? But when you're a kid, every shadow like scares the shit out of you. Like darkness is terrifying. Oh, yeah. A child because you can't see. Yeah. You don't know what's in there. It's the unknown, dude. Yeah. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think that is the driving factor behind fear. It's the unknown. Especially as a kid, because you look at how your fears change from being a kid to like now. So as a kid, a lot of your fears are really irrational again like i was afraid about of aliens i was afraid of the chucky doll i was afraid of like all that kind of shit i was afraid of dinosaurs because of uh jurassic park you remember the scene i think it's the second or third one where he's standing it's the third one he's standing on the runway because they're they're looking for their son and he's like pleading but the dinosaur is using one of the like 
as bait. Yep. And he's like pleading and crying, and he's like, and he's like missing his arm, and yep. the guy's like, go, 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 and just a giant T Rex just eats the dude. That was terrifying. The first Jurassic Park movie did such a good job at scaring the shit out of me when I was younger with the raptors and everything yeah, like that was like look around the corner yes that was yep. one of my yep. it's one, still to this day it's one of my favorite movies the rest of them kind of pissed me off because every single movie is the scientist like we should create a dinosaur by combining the most fucking terrifying dinosaurs yeah it's like every jurassic park movie. And then they're like oh it didn't go super well <laughs> wait a minute what? <laughs> but uh yeah no i i thought that was terrifying <laughs> yeah for sure and the first jurassic park movie where the t-rex knocks down that bathroom and he grabs the dude in the, in the toilet again that freaked me out too when i was a kid because it's you don't understand where these threats can come from and when you're introduced to like a new idea like that like i could just be sitting in a toilet and a t-rex can just knock the building over and eat me like that's fucking terrifying when you're a child yep. so like yeah when i was a kid those were a lot of my fears when i was overseas i think Excuse my me. biggest fear was missing out of life back home. So like when I was overseas, I was overseas when I was, I turned 21 at Fort Bragg and then we went to Afghanistan. So when I turned 21, the year where I was, you know, according to at least our society and our culture, I was supposed to spend out with my friends back here, going out, having fun. Like I was in Afghanistan running missions as a team leader and then acting squad leader. So I was, so afraid of all the things I was missing out on. And then social media was, you know, Facebook was around at that time. Yep, yep. So I saw all the things that I was missing out on back home. And like that fear then kind of turned into a little bit of depression. And when I got home, I felt like I had to make up for that fear. Like I felt like I had to now go out and do all these things. I had to go out and party and do all this stuff because I missed out on all that shit. So, I mean, I was terrified of missing out on things. Obviously, Maybe this is just me, but like, while initially you are afraid of not coming home, it becomes something that you have to face every day, again, depending on your deployment, what you have to do. So I think because of that, it's not like you're not afraid and I'm some fucking tough guy. It's just that I accept the fact that like, this is going to be something I have to deal with every single day. And if I'm just sitting here afraid all the time, I'm never going to be able to roll outside the wire because when they talk about facing your fears, that's what they talk about. Like the biggest thing that I saw when it comes to overcoming fears is that there's no like, hey, there's no magic pill. There's no way where you can just not be afraid anymore. It comes down to opening your eyes, edu educating yourself about what you're running into, knowing that this is what you're dealing with and trying to wrap your mind around it, trying to accept it. And then hopefully substituting it with something that's more positive that can kind of fill in that space. I had those fears when I was overseas too. Mm -hmm. Fears change when you're overseas in that when I got to Bagram Air Base, you could always tell who was coming into country and who was going out of country. Because the guys that were coming into country, if there was uh if mortars started coming in and the what do you call it, the C RAM or whatever started going off, if you were just coming into country, like those guys would hop out of bed, they would kid up, they would run outside into the concrete, uh, what do you call them, bunkers and shit. Yep. And because obviously you're afraid, but the guys that are going home, when I was coming home from that first deployment and we heard those mortars drop, like our, my entire platoon, their heads would kind of lift up off the cot and then you'd see guys look around, they'd be like, nah, that was far away, man, That we're fine. And they would just go right back to sleep while the guys that are new in country are getting up and they're fucking running into the bunkers yep. because you've become jaded to that a little bit. I know it's different for everybody. Did you essentially become numb to that fear of like what could happen? I don't know. I think so. I think I did become a little numb because again, it's like you have a job. You have a job to do. You need to do your job. If you don't do your job, then your brothers that you care so much about could die. Yeah. So you're just kind of accepting whatever the hell's coming your way. You know, and my wife had to deal with one of the worst fears because she was talking to me on the phone and the building I was next to, it wasn't my building, but we were in like a little plywood MWR. Sure. The building next to me was getting hit with mortars when we were on the phone or rockets or something. And the building got hit and then there was some machine gun fire and she heard that over the phone talking to her we were just you know, i was her boyfriend at the time who's overseas and i was just like 
uh, I love you. I got to go by. Click. And I had to hang up on her. Yeah. And she told me she was fully freaking out. You know what I mean? I'm Until she heard so. back from me because that's what she heard. So, I mean, yes. Do you become a little numb to things again? And I don't know. I don't think anybody can speak for four veterans. I speak for myself right. and my specific experience. Absolutely. And in my experience, yes, I did become a little numb to that because you're just, you're exposed to it. What are you going to do? Are you going to like, you're going to freak out about it because this could happen at any time. And if this happens and you have other people that are under your protection, that are under your security, are you not going to do your fucking job? And then they're going to get hurt or worse because of it. So, I mean, you definitely become, I think, numb to that, which translating over to the civilian side, I always felt helped me out because I could deal with stressful situations here and it wouldn't bother me as much because I'm not getting blown up or something. They're not shooting at us. You know what I mean? That's just some person I'm talking to about an argument or a disagreement. So I definitely think that there was, there was some numbness there. So I definitely had those types of fears. So you said living in fear, obviously it's got its negative health impacts. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you had a long period of living in fear while you were over there? Like, did you feel like you were living in fear every day? Again, I never deployed. I can't speak on that, but I feel like that's how I would have experienced it. I would have been terrified. You just have to have a, honestly, right, wrong, or indifferent, you have to have a fucked up sense of humor. Sure. You have to accept, because again, if you're in the military, you're a piece of something, which means you're not the end all be all. You're a piece of something. I mean, if you're in the special operations community, that's completely different. But I was just an infantry grunt my first tour. So I'm just a foot soldier. I am one of those red shirts that I talked about. That's how I envision myself. I'm just here doing my job. So I mean, I, the fear can't paralyze you. Like the fear is there. But so another quick example as a contractor, I was in Afghanistan. I was in Kabul this time. And I think it was like 2015, maybe. We received intel one day that there was going to be a 60, 60, 60,000 pound VBED, vehicle borne improvised explosive device that was going to be operating within the area that we were going to that day. That was our intel. Now, some of you out there, you've been deployed, you've been to intel briefs, you might already know, like, you'll get intel briefs all the time. They're like, there are 200 Taliban soldiers and they are going to attack Eric Peterson's room tonight. Like intel, you're just, you're hearing these things all the time. And at a certain point you get jaded to it. So when we heard that there was a 60,000 pound V bed that was gonna be operating in the area we were going to, okay, you know what I mean? Like we heard that and we're just like, that sounds cartoonish, yeah. but like, okay, whatever. And we still went on that mission. We didn't cancel the mission just because of that. Now that mission, we were a little bit, you know, everything was a little heightened. I remember like we are scanning our sectors a little bit more, a little bit more than we were before, but you still had the job to do and you still had that responsibility of doing that job. And so we still went out there and did it and they caught that V-bed. It was real. They didn't catch it in our area. They actually caught it like within a month of that mission. They caught it out in Gardez. And sure the fuck enough, it was a 60,000 pound V-bed. It was a V-bed in a garbage truck. The Afghan Directorate of Security, NDA, National Directorate of Security caught it. So you are going to deal with fear like that. There's nothing you can do. You can't control it really other than just accepting that this is what I have to deal with and I have to face it head on. And like when we talked about, so a fear right now that I have, I have a fear of losing my mom. She's still crushing it right now. And I know she's listening. So as always, mom, I love you. Thank you very much for listening. How am I not afraid of losing my mom right now? Like, of course, I'm terrified of that. And I've been terrified of that since the very beginning. And that's something that, I had to have that conversation with myself where I told myself, you can't run from shit with this. You can't hide. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know what the doctors are saying. We got to run straight at this. Just like you did that 60,000 pound V-bed, you got a job to do. So guess what? You don't have time to sit here and be paralyzed by fear. Yeah. You have to accept it and move forward. And while it's arguably the hardest thing to do from everything that I've read now about fear, it certainly seems like that's the best way to fucking deal with fear. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Especially in a situation like that, man. For me with my dad, when it was real, when he did the first round of chemo and then was like, no, nope, 
I'm done. Yeah. And I think at that point it was like, okay, I don't know when it's going to happen. Right. But you're refusing treatment now at this point. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I think, yeah. I think at that point, the fear of losing that person is gone because like you said, you want them to live their, the rest of their life happy. And you know, this stuff's out of, out of your control. Yeah. And, and if you're going to be paralyzed by fear, then you will for sure miss out on everything. Absolutely. Whereas if you just confront it openly, you know, that's the best way to, to deal with it. So I talked about the social anxiety aspect that I deal with. So the social anxiety side of things, the fear that I have is like, I am so worried in any given situation when I'm in public that I could say the wrong things, do the wrong things, do anything that I would now be perceived or judged in a way that is not becoming of who I am or I'm trying to be. And I will game that game so hard in my head that for a while it was scaring me away from just being around other people. Like it was scaring me away. I was intentionally avoiding public situations or trying to use drugs to numb myself enough to be in those situations because I was so terrified of that. And like, so that was like a paralyzing fear for me. And then it took my therapist, talking to my therapist a bunch for me to just have that understanding that again, like we've been talking about, you have to just confront it head on and realize that this fear that I was having, this phobia was irrational compared to what I was actually dealing with, right? Like, like it said earlier. And so my therapist essentially, I remember told me one day, like, okay, so what's the worst thing that would happen if you say something? Because clearly, you know, I put a little bit of thought into what I'm saying. And, and, and so I'm not just going to say something ridiculous, ridiculous yep. to somebody else to intentionally make them feel bad. Yeah. But like, worst case scenario is somebody's just like, oh, whatever, it's kind of awkward, but that's fine. I mean, how many interactions like do you have a day like that? Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And so that kind of helped me work through that. But I know you, I mean, what about your fears in regard to being perceived with your, with the vision? Because that was keeping you from going outside and experiencing shit too. It was, you know, I never really looked at it as a fear and more of like an annoyance. Yeah. But yeah, man, people, like I've mentioned on previous episodes, people uh, see blind. Yeah. They don't recognize me as a person. They don't recognize me that I have my, like, feelings and right and i i'm afraid that i get handouts or i feel like i can still work for something i don't need handouts i yeah. don't need sympathy right and so i guess yeah that my fear is that people are going to just it's judgment it's yeah, fear of yeah, judgment yeah right? i think common fears as adults other than okay the fear of being alone like that's a fucking big one especially if you have a family yeah i another fear that i thought of i said of being alone, but there that's a little bit deeper. I'm afraid of becoming my dad. Oh, yeah, that's heavy. Okay. Yeah. How do you say that? <laughs> so I mentioned again, uh, my parents were divorced. Right. And I just see, like I'll, I, I mentioned to Amanda the other day, I noticed things that my dad did that I do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm becoming my dad. So I'm going to be alone. My kids are going to grow up and not like me. You know what I mean? Or they're going to not that not that me and my sisters don't like my dad. But like I said, we went through a patch where it was like, I don't like this, dude. Right. And so that fear is like Gavin and Nora are going to have the same feeling that I had when I was a teenager towards me. And looking back. That was really shitty of me to have those feelings towards my dad. I mean, you can't beat yourself up about that. Right. But yeah, OK, I understand. You get what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> Just looking back, right? Everything yeah. in hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Becoming that. Amanda leaving me. My kids wanting nothing to do with me. Turning to prescription drugs and right. alcohol. And it just. That's yeah. a real fear. For yeah. Fucking sure. Because yeah. inevitably, I feel like everybody, especially as you become a parent, you pick up things from your parents. Like you become your parents a little bit. That's inevitable. You know how many times I've yelled at like, Shut the door. I'm not heating the outside. I'm not cooling the outside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What? No. Well, like my dad, he uh, refuses kind of to update to new technology. And he has a an Atari plugged into a Zenith television in his workroom. And as a kid, I was like, what the fuck, dad? You want an Xbox? And he was like, nope. <laughs> now, 
I totally get it. 100%. I don't want to upgrade shit. Nope. You know, so you pick up these things from your parents. Yeah. And then now you look into it a little bit more because now you're seeing all these other negative things and wondering if you're going to pick those up too. Yeah. So there's that fear that you're going to become that. But obviously, again, you're shaped by your environment. You're shaped by way more than just that. Yeah. And obviously, because of that, if you use it by accepting it and, and just facing it head on, I would imagine that it's going to make you do things that you know your father wouldn't have done in a negative way because right. you don't want to be like that. Yes. Like I know I have a friend whose mom was an alcoholic and she stays away from it completely because of that. Also, that's going to shape you into being better because you see it. I, I've actually, I've actually noticed that, that you say that my dad didn't do a whole lot with us growing up as my mom. She took us places, did yeah. stuff with us. So now I noticing myself with my kids with Gavin and Nora, I am, I won't miss a game. I won't, not oh, that my yeah. dad missed games. He didn't yeah. really miss games, but like if we would go out and do stuff, he would stay home. I'll go out and do everything, man. I'll be out there being goofy with them. I'll make sure to make those memories. And that's beautiful. With my kids. And that's a beautiful thing because how can you sit there and, and I know how you can because anybody would, but like how can you sit there and grill yourself for saying, oh, I'm a terrified that, that I will be a shitty parent or I will be a whatever, whatever, based on, you know, whatever experience you have while you're doing those things with your kids. Cause that's why you have to remind yourself, yeah. like I'm doing my best and you have to have enough empathy, I guess, yeah. for you and be sympathetic to yourself, understanding that you're going to make, you're going to have those moments where you don't want to do those, those things with your kids. And that's okay too. It doesn't mean you're a shitty parent cause you're not doing that every time. Yeah. You know and I, th I, mean? I think in those moments I beat myself up the most because I'm like, that's when I'm most like my dad. And I can make those connections like I'm being like him. And I think that's when I'm like, nope, get, get your ass off the couch and go play. So what, you were at school all day. But that's you dealing with it. That's you, that's you facing it head on. You're facing your fear because you're sitting there thinking about it. And so your body's response is, I'm taking my kids to the fucking park. I'm doing something. Yeah. And that is the most productive way you can deal with your fear. So I think that's a very good thing. And I think a lot of people have those types of fears where they're afraid of the negative things that they've been subjected to, whether it be from a parent or whoever, and then now doing those things themselves. I think anybody's afraid of that. And I am so lucky because just, again, my upbringing with my parents my parents didn't do any sort of deconstructive or destructive really behaviors. There wasn't drinking drugs. You know, they, they're still together. They've been together for 38 years now. So I am the feelings that I have towards my parents when I know that I'm becoming like them. It makes me happy. It makes yeah. me proud a little bit. Like it doesn't bother me. Even if I pick up on some of their, their silly out there habits, like I want to be that. And so it's a different experience, which is, which can also make that can make that difficult. But some of the other things that I think a lot of us are afraid of, other than you know being alone, becoming somebody we don't want to be, afraid of being judged. I always think that's a huge one. Both of us, I think, have that kind of fear. Afraid that I'm not enough. I'm always, and I think that plays into some of that too, where I'm always just wondering if I'm doing enough. Is this good enough? Like that keeps me from making decisions like i i'm terrified that i'll make the wrong decision sometimes so i'm the type of guy if i'm going to purchase something i'll usually do like research for like six months before i buy blank like when we were first we talked about doing a podcast for example for like a year yep <laughs> i was bothering jake about this shit for months like i was talking to him like hey what do you think about this mike this mike this this <laughs> and like every time i talk to jake about it Shout out to Jake for just being great about it. But he was just like, listen, man, it's going to be fine. Like, you're yeah. not doing anything super crazy. You know, but and even though he would tell me that, I'm, I'm, looking, up at I'm looking at reviews because I just don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to do something and then be wrong about it. My wife would say, that's because I'm a Libra and Mercury's <laughs> and Gatorade or whatever. But, <laughs> but, but I, I, that's a legitimate fear of mine. Like yeah. it'll take me forever to make a decision to do something like that. Cause I just don't want to make the wrong decision. Uh, I am the exact opposite. When I was found, <laughs> when I found out about this podcast, I grabbed my, uh, my Apple yeah. pod headphones with a little microphone. I was like, let's do it, dude. Yeah. I'm ready to go. That's how, 
my wife is that way when it comes to buying me gifts sometimes because she's very thoughtful, but she won't always look into where the gift's coming from. So she's bought me hats like Chicago Bears hats, and they're like not spelled right or something. <laughs> I'm just like, babe, where did you get this from? So Isn't yeah, there supposed to be an H in Chicago. Like, <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of how my wife is too. But I mean, again. I didn't realize that I was having a lot of these fears yeah. until I started like reading about it. And I was just like, fuck yeah, okay, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of this. And then again, when it comes to overcoming fear, like we both demonstrated in our lives and, and talked about through this podcast, this episode, doesn't seem like anything just takes it away. No. But you got to run at it head on. You got to not be afraid, which I know is easier said than done. The example that I use is, I used to be terrified of roller coasters as a kid. Yeah. I was terrified of roller coasters. I, and, and here's why. And I remember the roller coaster I went on. So you're, you know, first you're waiting in line for the roller coaster. You see it all fucking crazy. And like, that's kind of getting you amped up. And then I got on the roller coaster. I kept my eyes shut. And when you keep your eyes shut, you, you have no idea where this roller coaster is going. And that freaked the hell out of me. And then I didn't ride roller coasters forever because of that. And then I finally did, to, I think it was to impress some girl or some shit. And when I did, I just kept my eyes open. And now that I knew what was coming, I realized I wasn't as afraid as I thought I was going to be. When I learn more about fear and how to overcome your fear and face your fears, it just reiterated those points that like, you can't run away from it. You can't hide from it because it's going to make it worse. That is like almost 100% of the time it will make it worse. Absolutely. And so it's nice to hear how you've been dealing with yours and to kind of validate myself and how I've been dealing with mine because we're just, we're taking them head on. Yep. And I think with fear, you can't let it dictate your life. No, you can't let fear control your every move because just from my personal experience, if I did that, dude, I would still be laying in bed, not getting out of bed. Yeah. Uh, I would be, yeah, I would never leave the house. Either. I wouldn't, I would never, you would never want to go do anything because you would be so afraid of all of these things that could might happen. Yep. And, and you're going to let those things dictate your life, which is so unfair to you. Because what did you do that makes you deserving of not experiencing life because you're fucking afraid of something? Yep. Other than that, what else, what else do you have to say about fear? What else are you afraid of? You know what else I'm afraid of? What? In The Exorcist? It just popped in my head. You ever seen The Exorcist? It's been a long time, but I have. When she does the back bridge yes. and crawls down the stairs, that when things move like that, mm. that scares the shit out of me too. Yeah. In any movie, when they just move like that. Have you ever seen, do you ever watch like America's Got Talent? Yep. And seen those people do that in real life? Yeah. Ugh. Like Cirque du Soleil shit? Yeah. That's creepy. Little Asian kids freak me out, <laughs> which is ironic because I have two of them. Because like in like The Grudge, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like a yep, little yep, Asian yep. kid with his, head, with his head between the band, uh, the thing. And you're um, like, that's creepy as hell. I'm about to find out later if I'm afraid of Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had, you had, or nachos. Uh, you had uh, nachos supreme at 8 45 in the morning. Because nachos. You woke supreme. up and chose violence today. So I that's did. on you, dude. <laughs> um, that but, is on me. But no, I mean, other than that, I mean, I think that, uh, I think that we did an okay job. I do. I have a quote on fear, like a, like it? Babe Ruth saying. Yeah, I, I I love this one. It's never let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. So don't let fear, like I said earlier, don't let fear dictate and control your life. Yeah, absolutely. Embrace it. Recognize it, and just move on, man. Not move on, but accept it. Accept it. And that's like whether it's grief or fear or any of these other things. It always like accepting it. It's such always a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And running away from it is usually frowned upon because it's usually going to make it fucking worse. Yep. Well, the only other thing I, I found as far as ending on a high note, a little quick story. So I, as a kid, and even more so now, I fucking love Mr. Rogers. He is a gift that I feel like I just wish I could have like met him or something because you hear all these stories after the fact after he passed away about shit that he did. And one of the things that he did that I thought was really cool is there was a, um, so he always used to feed his fish at the end of the, or during his show. And there was a girl who reached out to him who was blind. And the girl wrote a letter to him and just said, hey, you know, it would be nice if for the visually impaired 
that you would let people know when you're feeding the fish. And from that moment for the rest of his show, every time he fed the fish, he would just say, now I'm feeding the fish. He would always do that kind of stuff to include people. And I just thought that was very beautiful. That's a, that's a skill that I feel like everybody should, should have. Just understand there's other people out there that are dealing with their own stuff. And if you can do something small to help them out, I think we owe it to each other. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Other than that, you got anything else about fear? I don't. Okay. Well, then that wraps up episode six of I Am Freaked Out, Insecure, Neurotic, and Emotional. We look forward to doing the next episode, which will be about another fear of most of ours, especially anybody in the veteran community, and that will actually be about veteran suicide. So we hope you give that a listen, and we hope to see you again here soon. Yeah.